Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brick Business Show, where we talk about business and at Lego, of course, finally have flips for Miles here in the house with us. Miles has a massive background with Lego, but he's also a massive Amazon seller with over a million sold in the first half of this year. So really excited to talk shop with you, Miles. Talk Lego, talk Amazon selling. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm great. It's a nice sunny day out. This combines. We were talking backstage combines basically the two uh the two main focuses uh, well two of the three outside of basketball the two main focuses of my uh my almost 24 years uh so far business like selling stuff and then uh lego as well and i appreciate the uh the purity in saying lego not legos i that that yeah. that, that has a good uh that has a good ring to me absolutely on that so i, I always appreciate people who say it the way it should be it's a tough one you know it's it's tough and also the lego group you know for the company that makes the sets it's not you know they're not called lego they're called the lego group these are things that like as a content producer on the topic of lego i gotta try and get right um yeah absolutely delighted to have you here um so let's just start with that let's start with your history with lego as you said it's kind of bringing you know some of your big interests together into one place um so when it comes to your history with lego as we're just chatting about backstage you uh, you've been to conventions, you've been part of massive kind of teams of mock builders and different things like that. It's really, really interesting. Where did it all start yeah. for you? And let's kind of sure, dig into sure that. that word, uh, it feels good, definitely. But yeah, so I uh, pretty much was always interested in, you know, my first uh, couple of years or whatever. I think I even remember like some of the early 2000s, like 2002, 2004, having sets. Like that's just kind of always what I like doing and, and then everything. And then uh, I think it was 2010 rolls around. So I'm 12 at this point, 12 or 13, I think 12. Um, on that, and I got the the slave one uh, for Christmas, so it's like December twenty fifth or December twenty sixth, and for whatever reason, man, I just couldn't get it together. I don't know why, I just couldn't. I couldn't get even with the direction, I couldn't get it together. Um, and so I just, uh, you know, internet's kind of coming up at this time. I had just googled like uh, slave one, like tutorial or something like that, and I found this guy on YouTube who reviewed it basically. And and then the next few days, I was like, wow, like there's these people that are making like mocks and stuff, which basically like independent outside of, uh, you know, instruction stuff, whatever. And that pretty much, uh, that was late 2010. And I started, um, like literally that day, I'm pretty sure I started making YouTube videos too. They're all obviously taken down at this point, uh, but I, I love the idea of it essentially. And then originally, um, in the Lego community back in the day, and now there's Instagram and other platforms, but it's basically there's two main communities. There was youtube and there was Flickr, and you kind of unfortunately it was kind of either or you had to be on one side of things and i was on the, i was on the Flickr side of things and so i started making stuff and pretty much all of it's still uh public as i know we'll, we'll probably link it basically dating back to 2011 but uh 2011 there's these big conventions we were talking about the biggest one the best one for anyone out there if you live in like the dc area you gotta go it's called brick fair virginia it's so fun um, is actually, I think it's this weekend and everything, but I really wanted to go that didn't go in 2011, ended up going in 2012 and then met some people. And then the next year and the year after that, and the year after that, we would plan all year and Skype all year, building these things together, essentially like building a mock together space, like a creation. We'd all have a little part that'd be a layout. It was really good times. These were like, you know, nine or 10 month, 10, 11 month projects basically. And they're all actually up on my page still. 
And um, another interesting thing, so I would always make stuff, but there's a massive aftermarket for Legos as well. Not even really sets, but like some of the little third-party accessories um, and everything like called brick arms and stuff like that. They, I don't know if it's as popular as it was, but I was always really interested in trading with people and selling stuff um, too. Like I remember mailing checks to people like BrickLink that you're probably familiar with and stuff. Yeah, like dude, before PayPal and everything. And um, so I was making stuff. I did collabs from uh, 2013 to, oh man, 2018 was the last convention and and uh, mock I ever made. Um, and I was always trading with people and stuff too. So that taught me a little bit about business too. And there's, like I said, there's that aftermarket economy. Basically, like I was posting like price checks and stuff in like probably like 2013, figuring out what stuff was worth, trying to arbitrage different things. Um, and there's also like, it was interesting. Like there's a total like aftermarket, like if you had connections, you'd get hooked up on stuff and, and really make money. So I was probably making like a thousand bucks a year. It's just none of it was realized gains. It was all in, in equity and uh, the different Legos and stuff I had um, basically. And then around 2014, and this is actually, it's interesting. It was way earlier than I, like it theoretically should have been. Uh, one of the kids I was doing the Legos with, um, had these really nice shoes on these really nice Jordans. I was like, dude, like, how are you getting those really? And he's like, oh, I've been flipping shoes kind of the way we do with Legos just on a bigger scale. And then, um, basically bought my first pair for like 160, sold it for 220. This is, uh, right in like summer, late spring, 2014. And then that same kid that introduced me to everything ended up scamming me for like 500 bucks. Luckily though, I had the multiple streams of income. I still had the good connections in the Lego side of things. So I had you know, money I could access, trades I could make, build my way up again, basically. But he introduced me to the shoe reselling world, which uh, didn't really take it too seriously the first few years. And um, eventually figured out people were doing, uh, selling stuff on Amazon as well. Kind of bumbled around with it from like 2019 to 2020. And then um, reason why it didn't really work was because no one knew how to do on gating, like get on Lego Unlock, get these big brands unlocked. Now it's really public info and everything like that, which is awesome. And then learn how to get Nike unlocked, some of the other big brands, February 2021. And then it was uh, pretty much immediately go time. I uh, went zero to like seven grand a month in profit, probably in like a month or so, just like grinding. Because I was done college at the time and I didn't have a job. So it's like need to make money with stuff basically. Um, and then by like August, making like 15 grand a month profit and uh, pretty much been uh, right around that ever since on the Amazon side. Things a little bit higher scale. So hoping to do like in the ballpark of like 2.5 million in sales hopefully this year about halfway there and that, that'll definitely be doable with stuff but yeah that's pretty much uh what i do kind of always just been um selling stuff content pretty much at this point kind of with a lego involved for like um wow like pretty much like 13 years base or like uh 11 years at this point yeah so kind of kind of interesting that, that's just, what a journey you know when you like when you summarize it like this does it feel a little bit kind of insane you know, yeah because... well, it's cool because it was i was all like and i think i'm so lucky or at least from a financial perspective that selling stuff always came naturally essentially you know just kind of came naturally like it was just what i did it wasn't really about making money till like two years ago to yeah. like two three like i i pretty much started trying to make money like uh probably two three years ago but i always liked it you know what i mean i always liked selling stuff different stuff like that and it just kind of aligned at a certain point and it kind of hit the like obsession i was obsessed with legos now i'm obsessed with sound stuff and luckily that uh benefits me financially definitely yeah exactly and but it, i mean a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking like that's not real right you can't you can't go to from nothing to those kind of sales 
in that space of time. And we're going to get into how that's possible with online arbitrage and different things. I know everyone's going to want me to cut right through that, but I do want to kind of talk a little bit more about the, um, the Lego side of things and how you grew that. You started learning how to flex that muscle on, you know, in terms of trading. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And um, I put a poll in, in our public community recently asking people out of the Lego investing community, did people primarily come from Lego fans first and then learn how to resell? Or were they resellers who learned that Lego was a great niche? It was like 90% of people were, were Lego fans first. So I, I'm just fascinated by the idea that, you know, there's like there's this economy that we're talking about of Lego increasing in value is an introduction to so many of us for, you know, what's possible. Yeah, and it sounds okay. like that was your experience as well. And so I guess before we talk about the reselling side of things, the mock you know, teams and stuff that you were on is really fascinating as well. And there's probably people listening who are interested in that a little bit more. So you started out, um, you know, 10 years ago, going to conventions on teams of, um, of people building massive mocks. But at that point, there was no financial gain or anything like that to any of it. It was all just a hobby. Was that right? Yeah, pretty much. It was uh, it was fun. There was a lot of like a lot of clout involved and like kind of elitism between the different like tribes or like uh, groups of people and stuff like that. But yeah, no, not at all. And there really was even today, like there wasn't there isn't much to gain financially. I mean, like if I had to, could I build like a big I think I could, but I'm sure I could. But in terms of no, it was literally just like, you know, people you liked trying to make something cool together, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so like at that time, you were just I guess learning about the Lego community and kind of networking, getting to know people. And that's where you met the guy who ended up screwing you out of $500, which by the way, at that age must've been terrible. Well, I, what <laughs> but, was the thing was I wasn't trying to make money, so it didn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like not that it did not, it sure it did matter, but like it was the kind of thing where I wasn't really worried about them. I was just trying to like sell stuff. You know what I mean? I just liked yeah. it and everything kind of like the thrill of the hunter. And that, that sounds so cliche, but I like, people listening who know who like have that trait like they know what i'm talking about and I, I you probably know what i'm talking about too you know what i mean on stuff like it, it's the kind of thing you would only realize if you have it i think yeah yeah well there's probably there's different stages to it i guess is like you know sure you were trying to make a little bit um when you started with shoes and different things but it's when you put your uh put the pedal to the metal with in, yeah. in the last couple of years that you can see the difference between uh, a hobby that makes a little bit of side income and a business that you're growing to be 2.5 million in sales, right? This yeah. is a whole different mindset involved. Um, but so at that point, when you started learning about shoes and, and sneakers, the sneaker game and kind of flipping, um, was that, you know, I guess something that you started to take a little sem semi-seriously at that time? Were you Was it mostly eBay selling or kind of how did that business shape up at the time? Yeah, so it was not on eBay actually. I, I'm I've sold play stuff pretty much everywhere except eBay. Um, oh. but basically I would just it was pretty much Facebook groups basically. So 2014 to 2017 it was Facebook groups. Mid 2017 these apps called out came out called StockX and Goat, which were third party marketplaces. The key was there was individual authentication through them that you didn't send directly to the customer that you sent it to them who then authenticated it and sent it to the customer. So it was scam proof and you could scale it. You didn't need to be messaging people back and forth. You didn't need to be bumping up posts in Facebook groups or anything like that. And then that scaled a little bit. So I think uh, one, one month in 2018, I made like 4,800 bucks of profit basically. And that was, that was pretty cool. I was, I was good at the time um, and everything. And so that, that happened. And then 
Um, that was right when I started learning about Amazon and then found the people on socials talk about Amazon. And that was key. I actually still know a lot of those guys today um, that, that, you know, helped me get started and everything. And I kind of felt like I had always been content heavy. I'd always done the content about Lego. So it was kind of natural to just start making content about, um, you know, just the resale and stuff. And I was, I've always been a Gary Vee guy and he was always big on that, but it's such a, you know, beauty man. And it's free to post and it attracts the type of people you want to be friends with. So, and like, there's no reason not to do it, but yet so few people do it's because there's no measurable ROI and people don't want to play the long game on stuff. When ironically, if they played the long game, that would get them to their goals a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's becoming a lot kind of more common and popular these days. We're seeing it with Lego as well. And, you know, Lego investing, more channels opening up and different things talking about it, which is only a good thing for the community. In my opinion, there's others that disagree with that. Um, but, you know, there was once upon a time where it was a lot more scarce. You know, we had, was it Reezy Resales was one of the OG guys that you would have watched at that time? Yeah, mainly like uh, Roma the Roma, Rake and Prof. I'm actually doing a, yeah. Roma's a very good friend and I, I'm doing content tomorrow with Rake and so I consider him a good friend as well. Yeah, so th yeah. those guys mainly. Yeah, and so did you get into books then? Watching yeah, Roma. Yeah, so it was, yeah, as books, uh, you want to have him on a show for, you'd really like him too and everything. Yeah, I, I met Roma actually, he's a good guy. Ooh, yeah, so it was yeah. books and then, um, and then the cues, I just didn't know how to do on any on gating at the time, right? Pretty much no one did, or at least I don't. This is like 29 since so like three years ago this month, basically. And so I tried that. And for whatever reason, I just kind of thought Amazon was the way, even though I made a lot less money doing Amazon than I did the shoe stuff, I just kind of kept at it. And then basically shut it down when we all know, you know, the big world event hit basically. Um, yeah. And then started it up again, basically, when people were talking about how to get on gated and it was just pedal to the metal, go time, live and breathe it. A couple guys. I was friends with at the time we all kind of learned together guys to do the podcast with now um and everything and we've done like eight figures in sales combined since uh we started last february together pretty much all from zero yeah it's it's an interesting that your journey feels very similar to mine um and uh, you, you've talked to my fiance dash she, she was running our book selling business and we, you know we actually had um a kind of a similar journey started selling books uh, engaging with some of the same people in that community and, you know, then, you know, with that world event that you mentioned, things changed. Also, we had Amazon's changing stock, you know, the, the stock limits and different things like that. That kind of was tricky for media sellers. Yeah. Less so yeah. for online arbitragers. Well, um, yeah. A lot of change in the world of, of books. But for anyone listening out there and curious about what we're talking about, about this transition into books, it's essentially Amazon FBA book selling where you're, you know, you're kind of going to thrift stores, library sales scanning books barcodes of, of books and then shipping them into amazon for them to sell it uh for you it's a great business model especially to learn amazon on miles it sounds like that's kind of how you learned amazon was that right you were selling in other places and then that was your amazon introduction yeah pretty much yeah it was that right yeah and so how long roughly did you sell books for did you kind of grow it at all or was it more dabbling first and then quickly pivoting out yeah so i did it probably for like nine months nine months in a row pretty hard and then COVID hit yeah. Yeah. And then I just couldn't really do it. But I still, the, the nice thing was you pay nothing for that inventory. It's like I was still getting sales like, you know, every other day, every day, different stuff like that through the whole time. I wasn't really doing it actively on that. And then just learned on gating stuff. And it, for whatever reason, I just learned about on gating. I was like, man, I should really do that. Like to see how it goes. And then listed a pair of shoes I had from trying to sell to other places. That one sold, then a couple more sold. And then it was like, all right. It's go time. Met the right people, and it was just like 
group chat since then. We like talk pretty much every day and it was just, we would get on zoom and mastermind together. And the key was, there was nothing held back. No scarcity mm-hmm. mindset. No, I don't want to show people X, Y. no, like everything was completely transparent. And that's why it works so well is we combine our knowledge together. That is a really fascinating point. So you basically started a little mastermind with some other sellers. Yep. How many people was it? Was it the three guys from the yeah, buy box? Yeah. So yeah. So three guys and then and then Jake, who's our other friend. Fantastic. And so you were, you know, this is funnily enough, exactly how um so Mr. Beast talks about this about yep. when he first started content creation on YouTube. He did this with his friends. They were like every day they would have a mastermind on Zoom where they were kind of sharing their stats and different things like that. And that's what it takes. Uh, So that's what it was for you. Like you were all starting together at the same time when it came to online arbitrage and sharing, you know, your sales and everything that was going on. Yeah. And we were all selling the same stuff too. So that's why it was easy. was just that like the combined knowledge, like everyone learned pretty quickly when you had the input of four people on one shared goal. So it's it's really interesting to me that you know your mindset around this is kind of so open and um willing to i guess have a kind of an abundance mentality right because yeah. with lego investing you know i think i often run into um scenarios where everybody kind of a lot of people are a little f- afraid of others getting involved afraid of kind of sharing their secrets afraid of saturation in the marketplace and different things like that i fundamentally disagree i think it's growing and it's because it's even my return on investments are better than they ever were Um, let's talk about that though yeah so you get better so much better you get you your skills increase so much further than the market could get saturated yeah you know what i mean and that's why like it's so good to get around people because like people talk about like different stuff during like saturation doesn't exist if you're good and you get good by doing it a lot. Yeah. And, t- and talking to other people who do it a lot and, you know, oh, learning yeah. from people who are further ahead than you are. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I could not, uh, I, I really agree with that. I think that's a very important lesson. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so before we go deep on the OA side of things, um, I want to take it back a little bit to some of the Lego. Did you like, did you dabble in selling lego investing in lego at all over the years or was it more kind of the trading and different things from the the rare parts yeah so i uh there were some years like in my like mid-teens where i just didn't really want anything for my birthday so i was like yeah i'll take some legos or whatever i actually still have a lot of those sealed like uh i think oh man so it must have been 2014 or 2015 the scooby-doo sets came out i still have the biggest scooby-doo set sealed and i was just so lazy last q4 not selling i'll sell it this q4 but yeah it was all the aftermarket stuff like are you familiar with brick arms brick arms i'm not sure actually oh i'll put you on oh man dude it's the best oh man so that was it's basically like a third-party molding company that makes like third-party accessories like all the world war ii guns and stuff like that that in lego form and that's the currency in the lego mark aftermarket that it's not like there's people, so it's interesting, there's people called purists that don't use any third-party stuff. And I actually, pretty much everyone became purists. Like, I'd say I'm a purist these days, and in 2018 I was. But yeah, that was the currency back in the day, was these really sought-after, like, guns and stuff. It feels really weird and kind of scary to talk about. But yeah, that's what everyone was trading and stuff back in the day. So that's what I was selling and trading, yeah. Fascinating. So it was most. It was all really parts then? Yes. All, you weren't doing sets? Yeah, exclusively. What was it like the moment when you started to realize, I guess, you know, the, the value in some of these things? 
is like was there a sudden realization because I, I i almost fell off a chair when i first started realizing what happens with lego the economies of lego the fact that this stuff is you know worth so much um you know was that kind of a sudden realization honestly i think it was just kind of normalized to me because there was i i wasn't buying like uh sets but i was buying specific parts in bulk off bricklink so it was always kind of like I always kind of understood that there were certain parts that were more scarce than they were more expensive. But yeah, I mean, I was buying stuff off Bricklink in like 2011 and stuff. That's yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. You never sold on Bricklink? Oh, man. So I'm pretty sure I had a catalog at one point, but I never sold anything just because it was so easy to sell through Flickr if you ever needed to move anything. Oh, you were selling through Flickr. So interesting story, man. Oh man, I haven't thought about this in forever. You technically weren't allowed to sell stuff on Flickr at like this rule changed in like 2014. So everyone had to put, oh, I can't remember what they did. Everyone would put like not for sale, but like everyone understood that it was for sale and you could like DM or whatever. But yeah, that's why everything started going to Skype and then eventually Discord. And I kind of missed the wow. Discord wave to be honest. But yes, you you couldn't really sell stuff. You It was in like 2015, this changed. And then, but yeah, I was selling stuff definitely through Flickr. Yeah, I was that's amazing. The, the, the underground things that happen on the internet is fantastic. Oh, I hadn't heard of that culture behind selling on yes. Flickr. Oh, well, it doesn't. Oh man, it's so interesting. So Flickr got bought by Yahoo, and then they yeah. destroyed the layout and the usability of it. So that's why a lot of stuff's on Instagram now. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so. um so you were selling parts and you were kind of getting involved in, you know, the, the communities and different things like that around Lego. Um, more recently with your online arbitrage business, you've started to kind of sell more sealed sets. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So mainly buy and holds. I don't sell a lot of toys non-Q4 just because the, the market's a little bit different on stuff. But yeah, mainly all new products these days, a lot of shoes, clothing, different stuff like that mainly. Okay. So let's let's transition into into your current focus i guess and so online arbitrage for anyone who's who's not aware um it's essentially where you're kind of sourcing products online uh, across all sorts of different retail stores and uh, selling them you know on other platforms a lot of the time it's there's you'll be selling them on amazon and um a lot of the time as well a lot of the big amazon's uh, amazon on uh, online arbitrage sellers would be leveraging FBA, which is where Amazon will sell the products for you. And so you're going to big retail stores uh, on the internet from home a lot of the time, sourcing inventory, shipping it out to Amazon for them to fulfill a lot of the orders to customers for you, which is how you can achieve kind of pretty big scale on some of these businesses. And um, Miles, are you all FBA? Do you sell some merchant fulfilled? Yeah, so I actually, I actually think uh, most people merch fill far too little just because oh, yeah. with, with merch filled, you have an advantage of speed so you can sell stuff quicker, which mean you, all right, that's a caveat. It has to be low competition for the most part for you to be able to merch fill. But if you can merch fill, there's a good chance you can merch fill a lot of it. And then the competition's low so you can sell it quicker and replenish quicker. But yeah, 95% FBA, if right. not yeah. more non-seasonal times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And so, yeah, merchant fulfilled being where um, you're fulfilling your own order, similar to what an eBay seller uh, needs to do. Um, so let's kind of start at the start, Miles. You transitioned, you started kind of transitioning into this um, around 2020. Was that right? What was the, what was the, I guess your first introduction to online arbitrage? Where did you even hear about it? Did you kind of have some people that you networked with that got introduced you to it in, in, um, initially or where did it come from? 
yeah so it's so interesting the way the divide worked back in the day like 2019 2020 is no one really could do online arbitrage unless you were ungated in the in the big brands and everyone thought that took years to do and thousands of sales to do and now i mean you know you could create an amazon account this week and be ungated in everything that i was dreaming of getting ungated in three years ago in a week but yeah so I knew about it, but couldn't do it or didn't think I could do it. And then once I learned you could, I did the ungate like February 15th, 2021, something like that, February 9th. And then, uh, you know, probably had like 50K worth of sales within six weeks or something. Like I, it was like, that was the way and it was go time, pedal to the metal. It worked. So I just threw gas in the fire. That's amazing. And so it, like I thought it sounds like it's, um, it was a sudden ramp up. Yep. And was there any part of you that was kind of thinking, I don't know yet if this is going to work, you know, th this hasn't been tested yet. Uh, or, you know, by that point, did you have enough experience with Amazon with the tools that we use for Amazon selling and different things like that to kind of really have a, a strong understanding of what was going to happen? Yeah. So it was more so having the validation of friends also doing it. People who I knew were smart also kind of believed in the mission and we were doing it together. So that was kind yeah. of a big thing. And yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about what, uh, what could go wrong? I just kind of knew that I was going to figure out a business at some point. It had been like a year and a half of like really trying to figure out a bit and like start making like six figures profit or whatever. And then that just kind of became the thing that like I just started going hard with basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't overstate the value of having that network around you, especially with those Zoom calls and everything. Because for me as well, it's been super helpful. When we were scaling the book business and different things like that to get to know those who were doing really well um warehouse models and the, all of the different kind of business models that are very difficult to learn there's not a whole lot of content out there and the only way you're going to do it is by networking and trial and error and so online arbitrage feels like it's the same thing because there's a lot of content out there you are uh, putting out tons of it as well but at the end of the day um you know the best way to learn is by kind of i guess fi failing fast you know going in and actually doing it and then seeing what happens. And then if you can also kind of do that with a group of people, um, you know, it's even better. And so I guess it, one thing I'm curious to, to, to learn, and I'm sure others are as well, who are kind of new to the idea of online arbitrage is what does, what does a day look like in the life of someone who has a, you know, seven figure online arbitrage business? So could you just kind of give us a, a brief day in the life uh, rundown? Yeah, so there's three main components. There's like back end, like managing stuff, which isn't much time. And then there's sourcing inventory and sending inventory to Amazon. There's three parts of it essentially. The sourcing inventory is uh is the hardest part because that's the differentiating factor and everything. It's finding stuff that's profitable, much easier said than done. Sending product to Amazon. Um I use a third party service now for most of it. There's still some little lower profit per unit that I'll do with like a helper. Um, and stuff a few times a week, basically. But yeah, the sending stuff to Amazon can be time consuming. The big differentiating factors that can you find profitable inventory, that's where the time goes. Um, and uh, that's where like it's, you know, sitting on the computer, messing around with different tools, keep a uh, seller amp, all that kind of stuff. Um, so typically I'll wake up. Uh, that's when I'll do shipping if there's any to do, which these days there's a lot less than, than normal and everything, or at least where I'm trying to get it to. Um, and then buying stuff throughout the day. There's not really a set schedule. Typically, I'll work in the morning and then at night. Um, at night will be like the content stuff, coaching calls, different stuff like that. Um, but the buying, the buying's where you make your money. That's where you need you need to practice the most. That takes a while to get good, just like anything. When you're new, you have to learn everything. So naturally, that's going to take a while. And then 
once you're through the past where you're like, okay, this works, I've sent procs to Amazon, I know how it works and everything, it's just blocking and tackling sourcing, which is just where you, you know, time in the market, time doing stuff, um, trying to find everything. But yeah, typically uh, work in the morning, any, any like physical stuff and then content, coaching, different stuff like that, buying at night typically. And I'll just kind of mess around during the afternoon for the most part. It's a long day. I wouldn't want it any other way though. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, I have a distinct opportunity the next few years that sure may last a while, but I I'd rather, it doesn't serve me well to think it'll last a while. I'd much rather go really hard and, you know, build wealth as quick as possible with stuff the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And so you are, um, you do this full time, right? You don't have another kind of uh, job or anything like that. And do you think, um, do you, I guess, do you think an online arbitrage business, a successful one that is growing, um, is doable for people part-time? Um, does it need, uh, you know, as many hours of the day dedicated to it as what you've been able to put into it? Yeah. So I obviously am a lot further than most people aspiring to do it part-time want to take it. You know what I mean? But naturally it's going to be harder the less time you can put in. The more input time you put in, the naturally the better you're going to get quicker on everything. But yeah, there's a lot of people like our, our buddy, Justin, the flipping account does a good job with an arbitrage business part-time and everything. Naturally, it's going to be yeah. harder. Um, I'm obviously a fan of just going really hard, putting as much time into it as you can. Obviously it's not possible for everyone and everything. Um, but yeah, it definitely is doable part-time, especially I think like the model you adopt with the more investing route of things is very doable for a lot of people. And you can outperform some other investments I mean, pretty easily on stuff if you want, like watch the right videos and have any sense of how to read data and everything. But the way I do it, where it's like day to day, constantly flipping stuff, it's going to naturally take a lot more time. And, you know, the more you can put into it, the better results you'll see typically. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. And I agree. Um, and so you mentioned that sourcing was one of the areas that you think is one of the bigger challenges for people who are just starting. Um, what part of sourcing in general do you think is the hardest part to kind of get your head around when you're first beginning with online arbitrage yeah what is it about sourcing particularly yeah a lot of data all around you know what i mean and and there's no formal education about it so it's completely new you know yeah. the idea like you just pretty much just have to learn from like dudes on youtube like us you know what i mean like there's no uh, there's no formal education there's not really many rules you know what i mean it's self-discipline's the big part the big part is the self-discipline it, it's not tactical it's all in your head like if you think it's going to work you'll do it enough to where it does work if you don't think it's going to work, you actually won't do it because you don't think it's going to work. It's going to work. And then, of course, it isn't going to work. You know what I mean? On everything. But yeah, it's yep. that. And then uh, being a little bit afraid. I mean, I uh, I really just use Keepa and Celeram to source. A lot of people overcomplicate and stuff, but that's really what I do. It's just kind of like looking at it's called reverse sourcing, looking at what successful sellers are carrying and then going out and looking at those items properly. Because if they have 50 reviews, 100 reviews, 500 reviews, you know they're making money. They're selling items for a reason. So it's just then finding those items properly. And people yeah. just drastically underestimate the amount of work you need to do to make serious money with this. And that's why most people don't end up making serious money with it. Yes, absolutely. And it's so reminiscent to me of Lego investing as well. And, and something that I say a lot of the times in my videos is that we have the information there, right? Like we have the data. The beautiful thing about Lego investing when it compares to real estate is that it's a lot more visible because we have tools out there that we can use to see things like the supply and demand, which is going to influence that price. And so online arbitrage is, it's very much in that wheelhouse. It's, you know, for it, if you are someone who is kind of good at looking at those things or, or even just willing to learn how to look at those things, uh, you know, there's a, really good chance that you can do well with it 
Um, but very, very important to be willing to be a student of the data. You know, it's all about data. It's all about looking at what is happening um, with those listings, with that inventory, with the supply and demand and different things like that. And so um, one question I had, Miles, was so you mentioned that a lot of your inventory is going through a, a third party service right now, like a prep service to send it yeah. into Amazon. Was that right? Yep. And but the stuff that you do on your own and the stuff that you did before you partner with the, the prep uh, company, did you get a warehouse or a storage unit or anything for that stuff? Or, you know, do you just have a, like allocated space in your home or? Yeah. Storage unit. Like and we had a, the dudes I had the podcast or I have the podcast, but we had a warehouse too. It was just a while away. So it was kind of hard to manage. Like it was, no one lived within an hour of it. Like one of the, one of my buddies had to live in it for a while to run it basically, yeah. uh, which, uh, not sure if I should say that on the pod or whatever, but it's kind of like, it's kind of, <laughs> but that was, that was like a year ago um, and everything, but yeah, definitely you, you need a lot of space on stuff um, and everything. Storage unit's been great though on that. And then eventually the third party service is in a sales tax free location. So that's why like, basically I, uh, you know, it, it, it saves me money on some stuff to use it basically because there's no sales tax. Yes, absolutely. Um, so essentially what, what that is for anyone who's not aware is it's a company that, you can order inventory online, ship it to them. They will prep it and send it into Amazon, into your Amazon account, which they Amazon will then sell it for you. If that company is located in the United States in a state that doesn't have sales tax, so you can save a little bit there. Um, Miles, what is it about using a prep service that you, uh, you know, I guess, what are the pros and cons? What are the things that have, have worked well for you? And what are some of the challenges that has been a bit of a, of a headache in your business in terms of relying on another company to do the prep of your inventory? Yeah, so the pros are definitely the that you can scale easier with it. Um, definitely that not needing the space, sales tax. Like there's a ton of pros and everything, but many people rely on them far too much um, and everything, especially people making under like five, 10 grand a month profit. In my opinion, you have to be doing it yourself in that case because you sacrifice so much speed and control. And for the most part, you have to FBA if you go that route too. And mm -hmm. uh, like I've said, it, I've said it prior, I think much more people should merch fill stuff for the speed and replenishability. And when you're using the third party service, naturally, they might get backed up sometimes, you know, that's not their fault. They can't just gradually or magically get more space, get more employees this is the thing that happens over time, naturally. So they have, you know, if their business grows naturally, it, it theoretically might hurt the service you receive. That hasn't happened with me, but it happens with a lot of people and maybe, well, I don't know. Um, and everything, but yeah, I think, um, anyone not making already like a full-time income, like shouldn't like from Amazon shouldn't focus on just cause you sacrifice so much speed with it potentially when one or two days on an item compounded over a few months could be a bunch of extra money that you do need to get to the point where it would be justified and you can make way more money overall. But I I'm a fan of like do it yourself as long as possible, even even with the sales stock stuff, because there's so much money to be made, like merch fill and stuff, and you sacrifice a lot of that. Big thing is the speed, though. The big con is the speed. Yes, yeah, and that's my experience as well, is that speed of getting your inventory for sale or yeah. listed for sale can sometimes be critical, especially on, you know, in on an arbitrage on items that are, I guess, more kind of prone to be hoarded by other sellers. Yeah. Um, this can become a problem with lead lists and different things like that out there where, you know, there's multiple different online arbitragers that are buying the same inventory and then they're all listing it at the same time. And so a question for you, Miles, is how do you handle that? How do you handle when a lot of new sellers come on a listing at the same time and one of them is probably going to try and tank that price and bring it down? Um, are you more inclined to lower the price 
to just get the stuff sold, forget about it, move on? Or are you more inclined to hold stuff for six months and, you know, almost like a Lego investment and wait for the price to come back up to a, to a, a profit margin that you're happy with? Yeah, definitely like moving it quick, but there's a root problem in that if a bunch of other people are getting on it, you probably source that item in the wrong way and that you might have bought it from a list you purchased or whatever or automation tool, different stuff like that. When the way I do it, I find stuff other people aren't finding because I'm strictly doing reverse sourcing. Oftentimes, a lot of items that won't show up on automation tools. Maybe it's a bundle. Maybe it's a two-pack of products. Maybe it's a product where there's multiple listings for the same product. Therefore, the UPC only matches one of them. So the others are technically invisible to some of the automation tools. Any retail arbitrage, people just scanning barcodes, that kind of stuff. So yeah, everything I buy requires a coupon. Some of those coupons have taken me years to find. And there's stuff other people just won't find. And therefore, that leads to a lot less competition on stuff. As well, I sell mostly stuff with variations. That's a higher average sale price, ASP. All that combines to a lot less competition on listings for the most part. Yeah, yeah, which it just gives you such a massive advantage, you know, and it can't be overstated because, yeah, that like too much competition and we can see prices dramatically drop. Um, it's one of my favorite things with Lego investing in general, you know, and a lot of other business models with Amazon have to deal with that um, co competitive nature of their listings and Lego investing, the supply dries up. You know, so over time, prices will rise, which is fantastic. Yeah. And when it comes to um, when it comes to managing a massive inventory, what? So, how do you think about things like repricing? You know, is there um, is there an absolute need for something like an automated repricer at that scale? Yes. Oh, in my opinion, definitely. Yeah. And there's two types of items. There's an item you want to restock, or you would love to be able to restock, and there's a type you can't. Right, and you price differently in, in different situations. Just kind of thinking about how long you want to sell it, or at least it's kind of the, the model I adjust is how long do you want to sell it for? Much different story in terms of where you want to set minimums and such. Thinking over the long term, um, and everything like that. But that that's the big thing, yeah. So run it lean, you know what I mean? Like have a repricer, have inventory labs. Um, but outside of that, I don't really have much more outside of keep on seller amp and such. In terms of software, yeah, yeah, nice and easy. Yeah, I mean that's what everyone wants to hear, you know, and it is. Um, it's a, in terms of overhead costs, if you're doing it from, you know, if you're using a prep service and you're, or you're doing it from home and the tool, you have to just invest in some tools and things to get started, but is a reasonably priced business to get started in, you know, whether it's selling online arbitrage items, selling books, selling Lego, like selling online in general, when it comes to, when you compare it with something like opening a brick and mortar store, where you have to drop a hundred thousand dollars to get started. Yeah, uh, but the software can sometimes be one of those big um, expenses. Now, the other big expense, of course, Miles, which a lot of people are probably wondering about how you can scale a business to, you know, such big numbers is of course the inventory cost. Right. And, and um, what would you say to someone thinking about getting started when it comes to, uh, funding and how, you know, how, I guess, what were some ways that you funded your business in the beginning? Was it kind of a lot of credit cards or did you do kind of other creative ways of getting funding for your business to get started? Yeah. So I was only merch fulfilling, so I didn't really have much risk. Like I could just return stuff of anything, everyone, or I never really had to do that um, on stuff. But I was, I was lucky in that I was, everything I was buying was validated by other people too. And that I had my buddies with me and everything, but yeah, it was a lot of credit and still a lot of credit on stuff just because, 
I have built up profits that I've churned through. So there's a lot of built up money in the actual inventory um, and everything. And then, yeah, definitely credit. I think I have an, yeah, I have an Amazon loan out as well right now too, but um, definitely not something I recommend for most people, but like most people aren't trying to make a bunch of money with this. And I definitely am, you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. happy to, you know, happy to take on risk and responsibility and such. Yeah. Yeah. And I get the question for Lego as well, you know, about funding and, you know, and, and scaling financially. And one thing I would add really is that just, you just got to make sure you know what you're doing when it comes to the technicalities of the, of the work, right. And sourcing being one of the big ones with this, um, you know, picking winning Lego sets being one of the big ones with Lego investing, you know, it's, I wouldn't be taking out loans or taking on interest uh, unless I was, I knew how to pick winners, right. To pick yeah, the yeah, right set. concept. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, if anyone out there is considering, you know, trying to, to really scale things up in your business, um, you just get the fundamentals right first. And, you know, at that point, then you can start to, to pour gasoline on the fire. Um, and so I guess uh, 0% APR credit cards, Miles, is kind of a big, big thing for you. No, I'll do that, though. No, I didn't really have been like too hip on the technicalities of that stuff, too. No, I uh, just basically uh, really understanding statement due dates on cards and that, for example, right, my Capital One Spark card, the statement ends the 24th of every month. So Let's say I spent money on it July 23rd. That money would be due August 20th. But if I spent that money July 25th, that money is not due till September 20th. Much different story in the velocity of that capital potential. You know what I mean? So it's a lot of digging deeper on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really kind of watching your finances, right? And watching your cash flow and different things like that. And I would almost go as far as saying, Miles, that it's one of the more difficult parts of running a, you know, a, a, an Amazon oh, yeah. business. Would you agree with that? Any business, definitely, man. I yeah. totally agree. And what are some of the other big challenges in an OA business in general? What are some of the other areas that you see people struggling with when they first begin? Yeah, so I think it's like if mindset was fixed with everyone, everyone would probably succeed because it's like this is going to take a while to get good at right? You have to trust for us. You got to do it. Even if you're underpaid at the start, everything, but yeah, sourcing is the big one. If you're willing to go through the process and learn how to, how to create an Amazon ship, which is going to be hours of YouTube sitting there watching stuff that doesn't mm -hmm. look like it makes sense. And then ultimately some uncertainties and everything. And then, yeah, after doing it for a while, the really the only issue is going to be sourcing and everything. And sourcing can be solved quickly with like really getting out and meeting people and then just doing it a lot. You're naturally going to get good if you do it for a while and everything, but yeah, sourcing is definitely the Really, I mean, it's theoretically the only one, and obviously capital and stuff. But if if the numbers make sense, you'll find a way to get to the capital. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. There's probably some smaller kind of surface level um, challenges that people are probably a little concerned with, and you know, one that I get as well in when it comes to Lego investing, a, a common question would be, how do I deal with returns? How do I deal with uh, damaged inventory that I spend a lot of money on and then it arrives damaged and different things like that. So I guess, you know, in your business, what are some of your mentalities around things like that, around, you know, damaged inventory? Um, did you just liquidate it? Do you partner with someone to go sell it on eBay or how do you approach that? Yeah. So honestly, just like liquidation, just writing it off or whatever, to be honest, I think there's a lot less than people think there is on stuff. Sure. You know, some Lego I sent in last Q4, I ended up taking out. I'll send it again next year. You know, stuff like that and everything. But the big driver in your income is always going to be sourcing profitable items. And that's where the majority of the time and, and, and attention should go to. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, do you do any retail arbitrage with, you know, in-store stuff? Or is it all completely online for you? So I do completely online. I'm definitely not against RA. There's even better margins typically. It just doesn't scale. And I'm, you know, you can't. 
really, really hard to spend a hundred grand a month doing it. Yeah. You can't be everywhere and you can't spend yeah. everything. Um, and what about wholesale? Has that ever been something that you've considered as part of your Amazon business? Yeah. It's interesting. That's back in the day. That's the, the only thing I thought that could scale. And boy, was I wrong. I love wholesale. I just haven't done any of it successfully myself yet. I probably will someday. I just love OA and I, I do so much of it for the content that I end up like being able to hit the goals I've set thus far with that probably some of the ones for the future and everything too. So yeah, I don't I just haven't gotten into it yet to be honest. Like we got the software stuff going on, all the content and everything. So don't really have much reason to expand into it now, but I'm definitely a fan. Yeah. It was kind of a similar um, assumption for me as well is that, you know, we couldn't scale online arbitrage to, to the kind of numbers that you're doing until I started seeing it getting being done, you know, and, and realizing, um, to be honest, that it's not really that far out of reach for a lot of people, you know, to, to get there. And wholesale, when your sh- pallets of inventory is showing up and they're looking for, you know, loading docks and forklifts and different things like that, is almost harder to scale than online arbitrage is, even though the ordering of the inventory is going to be a lot easier. Calling up an account manager and ordering a couple of pallets is going to be a lot easier than the work that online arbitrage need to put in. Um, you know, a lot of the other things won't be as 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 easy yeah it's definitely a trade-off and and yeah i I would definitely agree with that in some ways yeah yeah now when it comes to the inventory that you're ordering um i guess so you mentioned that there's kind of clothing and there's you do lego and and kind of a, a variety of different things are there any item categories that you stay away from completely uh yeah it's not that i'm against them though it's just that everything that i've had success with has been when i've been really focused on different things and the competitive advantage is, you know, in some cases, the sales tax on stuff. And the more expensive the item you sell, the better the arbitrage of sales tax is. And that my prep cost to the 3PL is fixed while sales tax is variable. Therefore, the more expensive the item that I do, the better the arbitrage is. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 And so it's really just about the numbers. You know, there's no specific item category. It's, it's all fair game. Yeah, to be honest, I, I like all of them. That's just what's worked best for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess 50 foot or 50,000 foot view of your business, um, what would be some of the item categories that are kind of um, that you lean toward or some of the ones that you, if whatever you're kind of happy to share that people might be more successful with or, or maybe ones that are easier for people to get involved in in the beginning? Yeah, so definitely the ones I do, I'm the biggest fan of shoes, clothing, different stuff like that. Uh, I make some like videos on my channel breaking down it. They're confusing for newer sellers, but they're not if you have the right information. And I like make videos about it like every week and everything just because they're a little bit more expensive. Therefore, it's it's easier to get going because you mm-hmm. buy one shoe, there's more output and there's variations. There's different sizes. So if you find one size profitable, good chance you might find two, three, four, maybe even, you know, more than that size is profitable and everything. So you can just get it going a little quicker in, uh, in that route as, as well. But yeah, that, honestly, everything's good. It's just kind of dialing in on, uh, on specific, some of my, my buddies on Twitter, like do mainly beauty and stuff like that. And I, I wouldn't even know really what to do if you told me to go find some, I'm sure I could learn, but you know, and vice versa. Oh, so online arbitraging with, for, of media, of DVD, like, oh, oh beauty, but that too, actually, to be honest, like ev- everything, man. Yeah. Uh, I definitely know people who do that stuff too. It's just opportunities everywhere. You don't even know where to look sometimes because you're seeing people be successful in so many different things. And it's like, so it sounds like networking partnerships have been really important for your success to date. Everything. Yeah. It's everything. 
I guess, is there anything that you would say to someone who is looking at starting a business uh, when it comes to that side of the house? And like, what are some tips, especially, you know, let's say, um, you know, someone is kind of early stage with their business, but they haven't yet put themselves out there, tried to get to know people, try to network with people. Um, is there any tips that helped you to kind of start getting your foot in the door with some of the other big sellers and kind of getting to know people? Yeah, document, don't create. That's a Gary V quote, basically. But if you just show, if you take, take pictures of boxes, people are going to be like, damn, I'm doing this Amazon stuff. Like he's doing it too, right? Like you start attracting the people you want to meet around stuff. Mm -hmm. Algorithms are good, right? The content you post, it finds the people that want to consume that stuff. And it's free to do. It's free to take a couple of pictures in the box. You don't need to make videos the way we do or anything like that. Some of my, my good friends, they post a picture of a box once a month or a picture of their seller app once a month. But it builds leverage and that you're naturally going to have questions for people and you get a better response, the better your profile looks. And it's completely free to post a picture of some boxes, a little Amazon seller app action, right? You don't even have to show your face. It helps if you do. It helps if you make videos, but you don't have to. It's free to do. And uh, people just don't see a direct ROI from it. And that's why a lot of people don't do it. 100% agree. Yeah, completely agree. It's super uh, helpful to get someone to talk to you when uh, you can show them that you're kind of, you have a little bit of history and a little bit of validity behind what you're doing. Agreed. Um, Miles, I'm going to pull up a question here from the chat we have from Bricks Ideas. Um, can you elaborate about the repricers that you're talking about? Personally, I use a self-made automation tool uh, to, to uh, recoup current prices from websites and update prices via APIs. That sounds really elaborate. That's yeah, pretty cool. awesome, Bricks yeah. Ideas. Yeah, um, so, yeah I, use a re I, I use one called BQL, B-Q-O-O-L, that basically just changes the price around in my inventory. I think it's every few minutes. Um, basically, but yeah, I set a minimum and a maximum price. The minimum is the one that really matters. And then it just kind of goes to work. So like during this call, the reprice has been going to work every few minutes. And I probably got sales of a couple items at different price points just during the podcast we've been doing basically. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a necessity once you can, uh, once you can afford it. Um, just, it's like a hundred bucks a month, but there's lower versions, but I use, I think the most expensive one, but it's totally worth it for the save time. And not only is it the time you save, but it's better at pricing than we are. You know what I mean? Because we can't be in there 24-7. But it also has, you know, probably tens of millions of data points that the AI is working off of, essentially. It sounds pretty complicated, that, but I, that's what they call it, too. But, yeah, it's great. I, I'm a big fan. Yes. Yeah. And some of them are a lot better than others. And I've heard great things about Be Cool. I haven't used that one. We've used a handful of others. Um, the most, the, the, the beginner one for a lot of people would be, um, would be, what's it called? Reprice it. Price um, it. A lot of booksellers and different things using that's only something like $18 a month. Yeah. Uh, There's a baby version of BQL. Cool. It's like 25 bucks a month that I would definitely recommend over. Like you ought to give that a go too. That definitely get like a free trial or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're using profit protector pro, I think and it's like 60 bucks a month. It's, um, the other thing I would say about about repricers, because we are like primarily a Lego investing audience here, is that for Lego investing specifically, it's less critical um, than for some other item categories. It doesn't mean that you know it's not useful, but because um, depending on what your strategy is, of course, because Lego prices go up, you know, if you don't get the next sale, you'll get one soon after, right? So it's it's not as critical as selling all, all your all of your inventory quickly. Yeah, um, depending on how you like to approach it. Yeah, so that's 
for our business, for example, we don't really use repricers on our Lego. You know, we use it on all of our other items that we sell. We don't really apply it to, to Lego so much uh, because I'm just okay with someone undercutting me and letting them sell. You know, it's just less important, especially during Q4. Um, so, I mean, it's optional, I think, a little bit more so in Lego. I would never recommend someone in online arbitrage or in book selling or in DVD selling or in CDs to not have a repricer. I think it's pretty critical in those business models. Um, cool. Do we have another question in the chat, folks? Anyone in the, in the who's watching live, feel free to drop any questions in the chat. We have one here. We don't see the name. It's on Facebook, but we have... Um, What's your typical return on investment? Miles, set expectations for people who are just learning about online arbitrage for the first time. Um, how would the numbers usually play out? Yeah, so it should be right in like the 30% range. Mine's a little lower just because I take a lot of low-hanging fruit because I'm looking to scale and focus more on return of capital rather than return on capital or return on capital rather or return of capital over return on capital, the total number over the percentage. But yeah, if you're new, I would set your minimum, but like 30% within seller amp and help have that help you make the decisions within the profit calculator um, on that. But yeah, definitely, you know, 25, 30%, you can't go wrong. A couple of ways to add to it and everything that might not indirectly show up in that, but yeah, 25 to 30%. Yep. Sounds good. Um, now, Miles, I wanted to ask you about, um, so you work with a lot of people who are new to this, right? And you kind yep. of help them along. And um, what are some of the characteristics that you see the the most successful people have when they first start out? You know, how, how like can, are you able to quickly spot someone who's like, yes, you've got it. You're going to do well. What are those things that are immediately obvious to you? Yeah, it's it's a lot in the quality of the questions. Like no one's ever made money that that says, how do I start, please? Help me get started, please. But the person who says, I already got Selleramp. I'm looking for my first item. What's a website I should look at? That I'll give you a shot. You know what I mean? I like the quality of your question. You're doing stuff. You're taking action. I can tell that you had a level of self-motivation to actually go out and Google something on your own. Um, and that's like, because if you're asking how to get started and you haven't started, you're asking someone it like you didn't actually want to start. Otherwise, you would have tried. Like, you know what I mean? On that, early, that's my opinion. Around. But yeah, obsession definitely in quality of questions absolutely and yeah hunger which which is a byproduct of obsession but yeah quality of questions for the most part because that's like the exposure to different people that you'd see around that that are just looking to get started yeah absolutely 100 percent agree with that as well and that's again something that you know is very relevant to us as lego investors and we have our public facebook group where um some of the people who are newer are kind of you know asking broad questions and you know what what set should i invest in and it's uh it's it's not something that everyone's going to give you the secret sauce yeah. to right away, uh, especially if it doesn't look like you're doing your own due diligence and yeah. your own work. Um, I think everybody who has put a ton of work into their business and is spending a lot of time figuring things out over the course of multiple years, yeah. uh, they're happy to help other people because they were once there as well. They were once like had those questions, but they just want to see that, you know, th those new people are also investing in their own learning and doing a little bit of their own work uh, before they want to help you. And so I think that that goes a long way. If it shows that you've already tried to, re to research, you've already searched the groups for the answer to the question, but you can't find it. So now you got to ask your question. It, it does definitely um, go a really long way. So, Miles, you kind of mentioned when we first started off with your history and different things that, you know, you didn't really always want to make money, right? And some of your, your you kind of stumbled into it a little bit. But now, I mean, you are um, 
obviously never going to go to a point where you're going to get a job working in nine to five, right? You are an entrepreneur for the rest of your life for, for, for sure. I, I would imagine. And so is, what is it about entrepreneurship that draws you now, you know, and, and it sounded like, um, even a couple of years ago, as you started to learn about what was possible with Amazon and different things like that, you still had options to go, you know, work for somebody and different things like that. What was it about entrepreneurship? What was it about this life that hooked you? Oh man. So it was kind of just like, I was just kind of doing stuff. Like I didn't really tell people in high school about the Lego stuff or anything like that or college, right? I kind of kept the reselling stuff to myself as well. Just kind of always gone against the grain a little bit in a, in that kind of stuff and not really worried in that like there were times when like my parents were like all right so when are you going to stop selling stuff and i was like no i'm going to keep doing it. like i'm going to keep doing it at college you know you know what i mean like i think i can do this full time eventually um and everything but yeah it's kind of that and then at this point it's and this is semi egotistical but like no nothing would pay me what i can do on my own at this point which took years you know what i mean on stuff so scalability factor and everything but i'm definitely not against it you know what i mean like think uh if everything if everything went wrong i wake up tomorrow with zero dollars and zero skills i'm starting like a cleaning company or something like that you know what i mean arbitraging like contractors and stuff like that um at this point with like my network there is no going back to zero and that like i could be i could have a sales job tomorrow if i wanted to with like just selling some type of like info product or something on on uh online or whatever doing like some type of service business but yeah at this point it's scalability but back in the day i kind of just like you know put one front in front of the other just kept doing stuff and kind of figured something would work and uh, luckily it did and everything but it took years to really get something that could make like six figures profit a year yeah yeah was that a massive realization for you when you started to kind of think about the scalability factor uh you know it's it's in entrepreneurship, it's, you know, directly related to what you put into it is what you're going to get back out. But after a couple of years, what you put in can give, can bring you back, you know, exponentially more. And it's compounds over time. Yeah. And your knowledge compounds, your network compounds, your skill compound, your money does too, all that. Um, and uh, yeah, so to be honest, it's just really, you know, a lot of what I mentioned is just like kind of doing, always doing my own thing. And it's a, uh, no different now right like people still in real like my grandparents have no idea what i do like the people from college have no idea what i do they just know that they didn't know what i was doing back and they didn't really get it and they don't today and that's fine obviously but yeah it's kind of just always going against the grain with different stuff yeah yeah it's it's amazing and isn't it sad to think about those who start for a couple of months and then stop these things you know because it does take those couple of years to get that rhythm and um, an analogy I really liked was, you know, like a rocket taking off, like it uses a lot more, it uses the vast majority of its energy just to get that first, you know, a couple of hundred feet off the ground. I like um, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it's a lot more energy in the first year or two, and then it becomes a lot easier and your growth begins to really yeah, kind your of output, your output per hour skyrockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have another question here from uh, Shan B. Is it feasible to be completely bullish on just one product when selling on Amazon FBA and expect profit? Say if I wanted to sell only Lego and there's no other products. Miles, do you think you need to be diverse in your sourcing or can someone be really specialized in specific products? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that do only Lego. And it sounds like you've done a couple of different things over the years, right? Uh, you as well. Yeah, um, yeah, on it. But I mean, it does exist, but... To be honest, like you'll, you'd make way more money doing, uh, like you know, a variety of stuff and everything. But yeah, I mean, it totally is possible. I just, I don't think it would make sense to now. Yeah, yeah. What I would say on this is that you know, 
it like some of it also depends on your circumstances in that in the Lego investing community, we have a lot more of a, of a passive uh, type of business model. Now it is not passive. Don't it, nobody watching this, please think that I'm saying that Lego investing is not work because it is a ton of work as we all know, but it is a lot less work than something like, like online arbitrage is, which is a more active, constantly moving inventory type business model. And so if you have less time to dedicate to your business, then Lego investing only um, could be amazing, you know, but if you have more time, you wanted to kind of to, to grow in interesting different ways, create kind of more diversity in your business and different things, then you will make more money by, uh, by expanding. Interesting um, question for that one. So Miles, I wanted to ask you about, if you look back over the last, you know, a couple of years of really growing your online arbitrage business, your resale business in general, um, are there any major challenges or major mistakes, I guess, that stand out to you? Uh, is there anything that you kind of think I really shouldn't have done it that way? I, I would do it differently if given the chance. Yeah. So I wouldn't change anything looking back on it just because like so many consequential things led to like one thing to another. Like I down to the last day choosing colleges, I didn't know which one to pick. Yeah. Consequently, I ended up picking one that was right near an Adidas outlet, and that's how I made a lot of the money. Then the year, you know what I mean, stuff like that. So I wouldn't really change anything. But yeah, definitely. I mean, getting ungated earlier, if I could have, I would have. I didn't know how to. It's not like I had the opportunity to really, from a knowledge perspective and everything. So not really. But I, I in terms of like stuff, I don't regret. It's I don't regret posting the content, meeting the people, you know, trying to get to know as many people as possible. That's what I would just do more of, to be honest. If I could choose to do something, amazing. And um, for someone who's brand new to it, how would you advise them to spend their first 30 days? Yes. So Keepa, 20 bucks a month. Uh, Selleramp free trial, 17 bucks a month. Watch a bunch of YouTube videos. Watch some of Shane's videos. Watch some of mine. See what else the algorithm serve to you. Watch a bunch. Get in the game. Get an Amazon seller account open. Uh, go any barcodes you have at your house. Scan them with the Amazon seller app. Scan them with the seller app, Selleramp app see what they're moving for, list any of that stuff, Merchfield, you'd be surprised. Some of the books you have, especially if you're a young guy who's just in college, you got some books that are probably pretty expensive. Get those listed on Amazon, no money invested up front, and then ultimately start finding products as well. But just get obsessed, binge a bunch of YouTube videos, get some tools and get rocking and rolling. Absolutely love it. It's a lot of the same stuff that I would say to that yep. question. So I love it. Um, last question, Miles, is what's next for you? How does the future look? What are some of the things you're excited to do? What are some of the things that you are going big on uh for the next year or two yeah so definitely growing uh seller amp as much as possible which is our uh profit calculator there's a mobile app web app chrome extension for amazon sellers to help source more profitable items all that selling as much stuff as possible big q4 couple uh couple uh more million in sales the next like 12 months and everything like that and then just talking about it as much on social as possible it's a nice place where it's really the first time i can look back in a year ago i was doing the same thing everything like that and hopefully you know same thing uh ripping for a few more years with this uh this model and everything like that as long as it's good onwards and upwards love That's it true. miles thank you so much for being here and everybody who's watching make sure you go check out uh, uh flips for miles on youtube and instagram and also seller amp if you want to learn how to source inventory uh miles much appreciated thank you so much for your time and uh, everybody, we will be back with another one around this time next week. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and, uh, and stick around for the next interview in the Brick Business Show. Once again, I'm Shane from BrickBucks.net. Miles, thank you so much for being here. Oh, absolutely, and, uh, man. Love the energy. Thanks to everyone who watched this as well. Make sure to, uh, make sure to subscribe to Shane if you haven't already. And uh, 
uh is it facebook group or facebook page that we're live on as well yeah facebook group oh, and YouTube, all that yeah. stuff too yeah thanks a lot man really appreciate it and we gotta i get dude gotta get you down to brick fair man seriously absolutely <laughs> i love it all right miles thank you man thank you so much talk soon if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating. It really does help us to bring you amazing content. And if you want to learn more about building an income with Lego, check out BrickBox.net or find us on YouTube at BrickBox to learn about Lego investing.